You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. Lynn. I'm a compulsive overeater, gratefully in recovery and gratefully active in service to keep me recovered. Um, I'm grateful that I was asked to speak to this group. You're in my heart because this San Mateo convention is going to be amazing. I feel it. I know it's coming together and I can see all the different parts of it. It's really a joy to be getting to know you and I just can't wait to go into that hotel that day. So... I'm going to start with my uh, what it was like and talk about what happened and um, where I am now. Um, I had always struggled as a teen with overeating. My family were all compulsive overeaters. My grandmother, morbidly obese. I loved going to her house to visit because it was a free-for-all on the food and we were good. We ate together. Um, I tried to control my weight and manage um, through high school and middle school, through all the different things that were going on back then as far as diets and pay and weight programs. And they worked. They all worked for me, except at one point they stopped working. And uh, I never was able to sustain any weight loss that I was able to get. I keep talking about I and I managed because there's a shift later on. Uh, I was never able to sustain it whenever I stopped doing what they required me to do, like boil down gallons of tomato juice or run around the track, or there was some less than spinach and something else that I had to drink every day. I don't know, because I'm, that was back in the uh, (laughs) early 60s, and there were a lot of weight loss programs. My aunt even had a machine that had a belt that you put around your butt and it jiggles to you, and I was convinced that would help, but I don't know what it did but it didn't do much. But I was getting pretty desperate in high school. And I, I just remember every diet that came along, I tried. Um, when I went to college, I had a roommate who smoked and I picked up um, nicotine and I realized, wow, that's a great way to lose weight. So I'm getting through college on coffee and nicotine, you know, smoking. Uh, that was the way that I managed my weight and it worked, except it made me crazy and sick and I knew it was not right. My parents were smokers and it really bothered me. And so um, I, but it did lose the weight. So every time I quit smoking and started to gain weight, I would go back to the cigarettes as a weight loss control program. Um I went and lived in, I moved to Germany after college. And in Germany, they had a whole different way of eating. Uh, they ate the main meal in the middle of the day. And then a, just a very light dinner. And because of all that physical activity over there, I started to release weight naturally. And it was interesting because I lived on the fourth floor. There was no elevator. So up and down the stairs, uh, all the time walking everywhere and um, also eating 
And of course, it was snowy for many months, so burning calories. But I realized without effort and without concern, I um, I was able to get to a goal weight. But again, I was not able to sustain that. Um, I, every time I was stressed or unhappy or things weren't going my way, I would pick up the food as a solace, as a uh, soothing thing, as something that would calm me down. I moved back to America in 1985. That was after about nine years. And the compulsive eating took off because I didn't know many people here. I didn't know what to do for a job. And I began to compulsively overeat. I got a menial job just to support myself and uh, was looking around for other things. But I taught English to business people in Germany. And there didn't seem to be a job like that here in America because they all spoke English. So I was kind of up a creek. Um, in 1991, um, four members of my family died suddenly and my best friend died of leukemia. And I was distraught and I just couldn't stop the eating, the binging, the crying and eating. And uh, any thought of trying to control my weight was, I didn't think about that because I was just wanted to numb out. That's all I wanted to do was numb out because every phone call was like, who's next? Um, and I couldn't stop crying, but I went to counseling. And in counseling, my counselor would try to help me with the grieving. And then one day she sat down and I would, I would tell her about the eating and the crying and all that. And she said, I can't help you when you're eating. I can't help you when you go home and binge. In fact, I would leave her office and go across the street to a restaurant and start there. And she, as a therapist, she didn't advise me on anything, but she, she, she said, Lynn, I, I, I don't know what to tell you because I'm not a compulsive overeater. However, I have a friend. I'll make up a name. Her name was Jane, and she's lost 90 pounds, and she's kept it off for seven years. And I thought, what? You know, losing 90 pounds, that didn't impress me. But the words keeping it off for seven years or something like that just blew me away. I couldn't believe it. How did she keep it off? That's what I wanted to know. So she said, um, well, uh, here's her phone number. And she wrote it on the back of her card. She said, take her number, give her a call. And so I took the card and I put it on top of my dresser. And uh, next time I went, she said, did you call her? No, I didn't. I lost the number or whatever. She gave another card. I had a stack of about 10 cards. By the time I was fed up and I decided to call Jane. But then I said, I can't call her. I don't know her. I don't call people I don't know. So I just, I said, how, I asked my therapist, I said, what did she do? She goes, well, she goes to a program called OA. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, how do I get a hold of this? She goes, it's in the phone book, member phone books. So I went home and I looked at the phone book and it wasn't there. And I thought maybe it's in the yellow pages. It wasn't there. So I went back to my therapist and I said, I, I can't find it in the phone book. And she looked up and she said, here it is, OA, Overeaters Anonymous. Well, I was looking up A-W-A-Y, away. So I thought, away with the weight, you know. So anyway, I went, I decided not to call Jane because I was shameful about my weight. And I didn't want to call this person I don't know and really reveal this horrible, shameful secret. So I just went to my first meeting and I, so I drove my car and I got all dressed up and I went to this meeting and nobody was there because I guess the meeting had closed or something, you know, back then, uh, I don't know how I got it because we didn't have, it wasn't on the computer, but I, 
At any rate, I went to the second meeting I could find, and that was at Al Bates Hospital. I could walk from my house to the meeting. In fact, I found out later when I lived in Berkeley, I could walk to two meetings from my house, but I didn't know they existed. So I went to my first meeting and I was just, it was about a hundred people sitting in a circle in a hospital room. And I just thought, oh my gosh, look at all these losers, these people, these stories. I can't believe they're talking about what they're talking about. And they were just open and sharing. And so honestly, I sat there for three months and didn't say a word. But when I came in about my third or fourth meeting, there was another woman who would come in and she asked me a question. I said, I don't know, I'm new here. And um, so we wound up sitting together together at every every meeting. I would wait for her, she would wait for me because we both started together. And so one day, honestly, third month, I was listening. One day she raised her hand to share. And I thought, you traitor, <laughs> no, because she's gonna join these people. And even though I was getting a lot out of it and was learning something, I, I, I just didn't get it. So anyway, she shared and I shared right after her. And that was the beginning. That was the crack that opened me up to talking about the things these people were talking about. And then I heard the words, I, I was, you know, I wasn't that smart about it, but I did hear you have to have a sponsor. So I immediately found a woman who looked just like my best friend's sister, who I really liked. And I asked her to be my sponsor. And she said, I love this story. She said, okay, I want you to, um, here's a food plan she gave me. They had gray sheet back there, but she said, here's this, but I also have my food plan if you want it. She said, so I want you to use a food plan. I want you to um, go to three meetings a week, and I want you to call me every morning at seven. And I said, oh, well, that's nice, but, you know, I know nutrition. I know how to eat correctly. I'm just going to try to do that. And uh, I don't have time to go to three meetings a week, and I don't call anybody at seven o'clock in the morning, let alone every day. And she was so sweet. She gave me a big smile and a big hug. She says, I'm sorry, I can't help she and she gave help you and she gave me a hug and she turned around and said to the next person started talking to her and I thought, I thought here they're talking about oh I can sponsor I can sponsor. So I listened to her sharing in the next couple of weeks I went back to her in tears, literally, in my mind, it's on my knees in tears, but it was in tears. And I asked her again, will you sponsor me? And she said, um, I want you to use the food plan. I want you to call me every morning at seven. And I want you to go to three meetings a week. And I say, do you want me to call you exactly at seven? Is that okay? And she said, yes, right at seven. And boom, I was in. So all of a sudden I understood the word willingness. Um, she sponsored because I wasn't willing. I was willing to do it my way. Lynn's program again, only this time with a sponsor. She, I didn't know that she didn't know my program, but I had to realize that I have to take the OA program. Anyway, from down, from then on, at, once that crack happened, I just rolled off a log. It was just like amazing the recovery, and I was able to complete the grief therapy, talking about my issues without stuffing my emotions or my feelings and i made tremendous progress in that grieving process and um i got a sponsor she sponsored me she was also an aa so she sponsored me with the big book a lot and i, I think some of the literature at that time was not available but so i got the big book but i didn't get it very well 
so that's what happened. I, I actually got to my goal weight. Um, I was one of those people who stood up in a meeting and held up my big pants and said, this is what I used to wear. And this is what I now wear. Whoa. That's the fine, first time I realized what pride was all about. Um, that shortly thereafter, I met a guy, we dated, we decided to get married and I moved up to Santa Rosa we got married. And after three years, I decided I didn't need program anymore because I was done. I understand it. I know how to do it and I'll do it on my own because I don't have time. And that started a relapse, a three year relapse. Um, at the end of the, th of course, I gained all my weight back plus more. And I came back to OA willing to do every single thing they told me to do um, blindly. So that willingness became trust. I began to trust the program. And um, I did everything they said. They, however, I still could not maintain abstinence. I still picked up the food. And I'll, I'll fast forward to the um, conventions because that's a big part of my story. I used to go to all the conventions. I went to one in Burlingame where Roseanne spoke in 1991. Uh, her little pink outfit and her husband was ill. And she stood up there and she was the founder of OA. Oh, my gosh. In the same room at the Hyatt Regency where we're having our hotel. And she said, hi, my name is Roseanne. I'm one of the co-founders, she introduced me. And I've been absent for seven years. And I thought, seven years, and you're the founder. And I realized we are not perfect. We do this in fits and starts sometimes. It's slowly and surely, but she keeps coming back. And even, you know, talk about pride. Even she admitted in a convention full of people, that she had been absent for seven years really opened my heart to being a human in this program and not a superstar holding up the pants. Um, my sponsor once did the pants thing, but she did it in a different way. My new sponsor up here, we went to a meeting and she laid down her big pants on the floor and she laid down the same pair of pants in the size she now wears. And she said, when I think about taking that first compulsive bite, I think, am I going to choose these pants or I'm going to choose these pants? And I saw the difference between what I did and what she did. Do I want this or I don't want, do I want that? So that really taught me that, you know, my pride was one of my biggest enemies. My stubbornness was one of my biggest enemies. I worked the steps very, very hard and I kept working them over and over and over. And I used to go to all the conventions and I kept running into this girl named Lynn and we thought it was really cute because we both spell her name the same way and that's not usual, right Lynn? Because she spells it with an E, where is she? Yeah, so we kind of just only saw each other at conventions and then one day uh, at a convention she came up to me and, and we decided to go out to dinner for the first time and get a little bit closer. And then all of a sudden I get a call and she wanted to talk to me the next year and said, I'd like to know if you'd like to work on the convention with me. And I said, what do you mean work on it? I'll go with you. She goes, no, I mean work on it. And I said, what do you mean work on it? She goes, well, you know, there is a group that puts on the convention. I said, really? I never thought of that. I know these people are all standing around selling tickets and doing things. 
it never occurred to me there were like 16 committees that put this thing together. I said, no, I don't think I can do it because, you know, I don't, I've never done it. Just, oh, I've done it 10 or 12 times. I can do this. I can help. You and I will be co-chairs. I said, well, I don't think I can do it. She goes, I know you can do it. So would you do it? And I said, yes, my willingness again. Um, and so not having a clue of what I was doing, I started working with her on the 2020 convention, which was going to be at the hotel, as you know, in Oakland. And uh, <laughs> halfway through, all of a sudden, she got appointed as chair. And she said, oops, I got appointed as chair. So um, I'm going to let you go ahead and do it on your own. And that was a leap of faith. That was a God thing. Because I always had her in my back pocket. I could always rely on her to clean up my little messes. But now I was on my own and I just prayed hard, very hard. Can I do this? Can I do this? And I, without believing in myself, I said, yes, yes, I will do it. And we had a great time. She was amazing. She's like a mentor. It was like a mentor to me at that convention. The blessing was the next, uh, the halfway through that convention went virtual and we had no idea what we were doing. You guys think those of you working on the convention, you're a little nervous, right? And I'm not, I'm good with you guys. I think you guys are amazing because I know how it's getting together and I see all the great stuff, but going virtual, I didn't even know what Zoom was. And here we decided to do it on Zoom and everybody switched positions. All of a sudden, a lot of things didn't matter. Decoration, security, hotel liaison out the window, PNP manual out the window. And I just kept praying. I said, Lynn, how are we going to do this? She goes, Lynn, just remember, it's not your convention. It's God's convention. And I just felt this wave of relief, you know, being honest with her about the fact that I was nervous. I didn't think I was capable. And I just let the committees take over. And they switched. The decorations person became our tech person. And Janae knows you were there, right? Um, oh, no, you weren't. It was another Janae. Yeah, sorry. And our our person who was doing this became the person doing that. And I didn't even know what they were doing. I didn't know what a tech host was and a co-host and all that stuff. So we went ahead and did the convention and it turned out to be amazing. And we had, a, we had tons of people. And then all of a sudden after the convention, which was really impressive, I got all these phone calls from other regions who were putting on conventions and they said, how do you do it? So even though my job was finished as the convention chair, I began to help these other conventions because now it was easy because it turned out so well. And I helped maybe three or four. I'm not I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I took my experience and was able to help them. And I, uh, I, did, um, I did everything I could to help them or link them up with my people at our convention who turned around and helped them. It's so, and that leads up. Great. Thank you. That leads up to this convention. Um, I was so grateful when San Mateo took it over because you're up here. Um, I just want to say that with working the steps, I realized the whole thing to me boils down to the solution that I got in the big book. I At the beginning of the pandemic, I did two things for my recovery. Number one, I took a big book study and went deep into compulsive reading in the big book. Second, I took a meditation class which I thought was a bunch of hooey, but I better learn how to do it because I heard at the convention it worked. And I, it was amazing to help me. But through the study in the big, big book, I learned that there actually is a solution that you don't have to pick up that first compulsive bite. I learned that we're, there's a spiritual path, easy, 
and working with others easy that's all it is all the other stuff is support and i didn't realize that it was that easy um and getting closer to god i focus with meditation and prayer to get closer i already came into the program with a concept of god but it totally totally fleshed it out and i just wanted to quote um one one of my favorite lines in the big book with which blew me away on page 29. It said, um, the next, after there's a solution, it says the next 42 stories are about how people, and I thought it would say got sober or got abstinent, right? It doesn't, it says how these 42 people got closer to God. And I thought that is the key, getting closer to God, aligning myself with God's will, not my will. And I began to turn everything over to the care of my higher power. I just wanted to talk in the last half minute about the fact that to me, the key piece is um, page 89, which says, and this is why I'm here, working with others has been the joy of my life through the pandemic, an absolute joy of working with you and other people at the convention. It says that... Um, there's nothing that will so much ensure immunity from, I'll say, compulsive overeating again, as intensive work with other compulsive overeaters. It works when all other activities fail, the pants thing, everything. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message that it is working with others that keeps me abstinent. And I sponsor people all the time in the big book, um, with using the big book. But it says, um, this is, a, oh, let's see. Life will take on new meeting to watch people recover, to see them help others, to see you guys helping other people. For me, to see my sponsees helping other people. Uh, when I came into the big book study, I brought my sponsee with me and I, my sponsor also came in. So by working with both of them, I was able to help them get a better study of the big book. Um, to what I watch loneliness Spanish to see a fellowship grow up about you to have a host of host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and welcome to the newcomer tonight is the and with each other with you and the convention committee is the bright spot in my life. And I just love that word bright spot because I have friends who are struggling through this pandemic and I'm with the grace of God, I am not. I pray for honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness every morning because the open-mindedness is, is what I need to have to set aside all the preconceived notions I have and do it the way it's spelled out here and in the, in the big book. And what I love about OA is he's given me my life back, the life that I never was able to have through my own self-reliance. And with that, I just want to say I am very proud of the work that you're doing on the convention. I know it is God's convention, and I know you're doing your best. And together, as sick as we are, together we are going to make this an exciting event. And I'm not just saying that to pump you up. I'm saying it because I feel it in my heart, and I feel the spirit. And that's, I'll leave it at that.